Today's the 25th. I like to make a drive-by through. I picked one out of Proverbs 25. Here you go. Verse 12. To one who listens, valid criticism is like a gold earring or other gold jewelry. Wow. Okay. There was a a time many years ago when um, I think for the very first time I I got Lisa to go with me to the gym and... um, to do, to do a workout. Now, before that, I had been working out with, with a friend of mine, a guy that maybe a couple of you will know, because this is a long time ago, but this guy's name was Bob Shaley. Now, Bob was this great big herky weightlifter guy who had connections to Hollywood, and he had, I think at one time, worked out with Arnold, you know, at the beach, before Arnold became Arnold, you know, and... Um, and so Bob Shaley was uh, uh, this guy, and so I would go to his house, and he had this big, he had all this equipment in his basement, and we would, we would lift weights, and, and um, he, he went on, I mean, he, he moved away from town, and the next time I saw Bob Shaley, I saw him in a little tiny piece of the movie Die Hard 2, and so he's this guy in the very center, big tough looking guy, right in the center there, that's Bob, and you can't tell from there, but he's just one big mass of muscle and strength. And his deal was to teach me how to lift weights, and to push things around and to get, you know, built up. And he did, did all these things that obviously was such a long time ago, you can't tell anymore. But <laughs> to, um, you know, and it may not mean a lot to, to, to some of you what I'm going to tell you, but at the time, you know, I was able to, to, to move some weight around. I was, at, the, at the time, I was able to bench press 275 pounds and do sets of 10. That's a lot. That's, that's, you know, to me, to me, that was quite a, lit, a lot. And I would use a spotter and um, sometimes I would do without, but but I, but I, so anyway, so I get to Lisa, and at this point, I'm at my apex. I got arms that look like trunks, you know, to bigger than my legs, which isn't that big deal. I get itty bitty legs. So, so I get her there, and I'm thinking, okay, we've been married for a number of years at that point, and I'm still a guy, and I'm thinking, I'm going to impress my wife. I am still a guy, yeah. It's great to have your wife in the front row to edit you as you go. So I'm, I'm doing this typical thing, you know, that guys do. And even after we've caught our wife, we still strut for them. Did you know that, guys? And by the way, that's a good thing. It's good that you continue to try to impress your wife. It's good that you continue to, to show her that you're trying and striving to become better because... She means a lot to you. It's good, guys. So anyway, so I'm, I'm, a little bit, I'm a little out of balance. So this is not a story of balance. This is a little story of out of balance. So I, we're, we're at the gym for the very first time, and I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm going to show her. And so um, we go up to this gym, and we're upstairs, and there's all these, this equipment with these free weights. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm just going to pile the plates on, and I'm going to be doing some bench presses. Boy, is she going to melt when she sees what I can do. Now, she has no appreciation, has no idea, doesn't give a rip. And... Um, <laughs> doesn't make any difference. So I'm, I'm stacking the plates on. And, you know, th- this is enough you put on those big 45-pound plates and 25s. It's quite a lot of weight. And, and usually I would do this and I'd have a spotter because, you know, we would push it. If you know what working out till failure means, it's you keep going until you fail. And when you're at failure, if you don't have a spotter, that's when, you know, anyway. So, so, but there's no spotter. And I'm also doing another stupid prideful thing. I don't have the safety clips on the plates because I like that rattling sound they make as they go up and down. <laughs> you, know, you know, the weightlifters in the room know exactly what I'm talking about. Down they, and they're going, makes that sound, that really cool sound. So, 
I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm on the bench. I don't know what Lisa's doing, but I'm sure she's going, oh. and, and so I'm pushing and I'm, you know, one rep and two and four and five and six and this, boy, this is heavy. And they're slowing down eight. And I'm realizing I don't have a spotter nine and somewhere around nine or 10, I ran out of gas <laughs> and my arms turned into jelly. They turned into weight. I, I didn't have any, and down comes 275 pounds and pins me. Now, I'm pinned to the bench. <laughs> and my first thought isn't, I'm going to die or choke to death. My first thought is, oh no, my wife's going to see this and I'm never going to hear the end of it. That's my first thought. And I looked over and she's gone. She wasn't even in the room. Okay, now I'm in trouble. I'm in the room by myself. I'm, that's a lot of weight on your, you have to breathe, you know. And, and, and I'm thinking, okay, I don't have any choice. I'm going to have to dump these weights. <laughs> so I'm so glad now. I was so smart not to have those clips on. And so I start pushing one side. And what happens is, you know, you, you have to lift one side up. And it start, they start to slide down. There's too much to go. And, they, and the, first, the first plate off, and these are steel plates. First plate off is 25 pounds. And it goes thump on the floor. But I'm up in the air. I'm, I, I got to stay up enough because I'm out of balance now. But I got to get those other guys to go because, you know, I, you got to go all the way on this. So, up, so the first one goes thump. The second one goes kabang because it's steel on steel. And then, of course, now there's a third one. Bang. Well, now you think that's better, but it's not because now you have this bar across your chest and you have no weight over here and a hundred and something over here. And all of a sudden, this end goes up in the air and that side goes down. And all three of the plates now go bang, bang, bang and make even louder clatter on the other side. All of this was to impress my wife, who wasn't there. And I think about that. And you don't remember that because you didn't get to witness it, but I remember what a stupid thing it was you know, that I tried to impress. And, 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 and that's an example of my physical body not being able to handle the weight that was upon it. And in this series, we've been talking about not our physical bodies carrying too much weight, but we've been talking about our soul, our soul carrying too much weight. You know, some people think, like I thought, that I could handle that weight. Some people think that they can handle the weight of life all by themselves, the weight that's on their soul. And sometimes they just get crushed by the weight of the, of the world on their soul. If you missed last week, um, there's a key thought that's going to drive us for these weeks that we're in this series called Soul Detox. And, the, and the, these key thoughts are this. We are not a body with a soul. We are a soul with a body. You know, we're not our bodies. This body that we carry around, it's actually just a temporary holder. You are actually just bags of mostly water. <laughs> okay? You're, just, you're actually just... Okay, I've said it already, you're, you're back. And, and eventually these bodies are going to die. But we don't die. Our soul goes on living forever somewhere. Somewhere. And there's an awful lot of time and attention in our culture on TV, um, you know, time and effort spent on taking really good care of our bodies. But I want to talk about detoxing, not our body, but detoxing our soul. Because so many people 
not just here, but all around the world, people you work with, people you go to school with, so many people all over have a heaviness, just a heaviness of the soul. I was reading this week about, um, about a medical condition, um, dysthymic disorder, which is, which is kind of like a low-grade depression that just goes on, and it's not, not the major deep clinical depression that you would think of when you hear the word depression, but it's an, it's an actual condition. It's a lower grade, but it goes on and on for years at a time. And um, it's, it's, it's interesting that as I was reading the statistics about it, it's basically it said that my generation, which is, we'll call that the age 45 to 60, that generation has the highest percentage of any generation that deals with this low-grade, continuous discouragement. They constantly live with a heaviness in their soul. They can't really put their finger on it. There's nothing really, really specific that's wrong but there's this soul dissatisfaction. Just, there's just not peace. There's, there's a lack of hope. There's a lack of faith. There's, there's, there's no optimism. They're just kind of existing in some ways. And they just don't feel like they're making a really good contribution to what's going on around them. There's just this heaviness, this heaviness in their soul. And that situation, you know, it's, it's discouraging to even talk about it. But, but that's not a new New situation. In fact, um, our key verse for today is, is involves David and comes from the Old Testament. In Psalm 42, 5, he asks himself this question. He says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Why are you heavy? Why are you uneasy? Why, why are you worried? Why are you upset? Why are you so disturbed, O my soul? And I want to try and take a, a pass at answering that question today because... You know, why is it that there are so many people that live with just this heaviness in their soul? And I believe that there are three main reasons. Um, And um, so we're going to just march through that list. The first reason uh, is I believe that we're heavy with hurts from the past. Jeremiah illustrates this, and and we see this in Lamentations 3. And he's reflecting upon his own personal pain. And he says this. He says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them. And he looks back to these painful memories that he's carrying. And he says, my soul is downcast within me. And I'm guessing that in a room this size, that there's plenty of people here who there's today present a heaviness in your soul is based on some sort of past hurt. You had some friend lie to you or... Um, you know, somebody let you down or your spouse betrayed you or you lost a job and you didn't think that we were retreating fairly or you had an opportunity to do something and you didn't take it and you wish you would have or, you know, you said something that you shouldn't have said or you, somebody did something and you've got this present heaviness that's based upon issues that hurt you in the past. Now, I, it's not my style to embarrass you and push you too much. I'll push you a little bit, but I mean, I, I, I don't want you to raise your hands as I ask these questions because I want you to not tell me. But in the moments that I ask a few rhetorical questions, I want to ask you just to kind of raise your hand. You do, do you know if you had an x-ray, you'd see a little arm with a hand in your heart? So the Lord can see it. And so there will be a moment where, you know, I ask a question and it's rhetorical. Raise your hand before the Lord, you know. Like that picture? <laughs> okay, never mind. So, um, you know, and I just want to push that a little bit and say to you, you can tell God, you know, God, I, I am. I'm heavy in my soul. And you remember this? 
That hurt. It still hurts. And I think there, there, there are, that many people are convinced, and there's a, the reason, the second reason that I think that we have this heaviness of the soul is that many of us are heavy with trouble today, trouble in our present. There's something going on right now. Job describes this in, in chapter 4, verse 5. He said, but now, not in the past and not in the future, but now, trouble comes to you. And some of you can relate to this because of whatever you're dealing with today. You are discouraged. It strikes you and you're dismayed. For somebody, you know, for some people among us today, there's something going on just right now and you're thinking, I didn't see this coming. This was not in my five-year plan. So there's this constant dissatisfaction. You know, I thought when I would be at this stage in my life that this would be going on, or, or you know, I thought I'd have a better relationship than this by now, and you didn't think that you'd be facing this kind of trouble today. And there's a heaviness there because of something that's going on right now. So I'm going to say to you, is if that signals you, if you think that's right, just let the Lord know. Respond to him in your heart right now and say, God... There's something here. Keep going, because I need to hear from you. And there is a heaviness in my soul, Lord. There is, there is a burden. There's a concern. The third reason, and I think this one might be the one for which I'm the most personally vulnerable, and so maybe you will relate to, and that is this. Many of us were heavy with anxiety about our future. Anxiety about what's going to happen tomorrow. We're wondering questions like, you know, how are we going to make it through what's coming up? How am I going to pay these bills when my debt's rising and my bank account's getting smaller? How am I going to get it all done with three kids running around the house in diapers? I'm discouraged. I'm tired. What if my company lays me off? What if one of us gets sick? What if the economy unravels again? What if, what if, what if? You know, even Jesus had moments when he looked at things and he knew pain was coming. He, he knew God was going to turn away from him at a moment. And, and he would, Jesus cried out and he says this, he says, my God, my God, where are you? And you can hear the anguish going on in his soul when he cried out. And Jesus began to, to be dis, deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Now that's heaviness of the soul. Jesus is showing us. So we look back in the past or we look at the present or we're concerned about what's going to happen. Seems like there's trouble all around. And... So we just go on with this ongoing heaviness, this, this heaviness of the soul. In 1988, um, we're not quite sure. I think it was 1988. Lisa and I went s- snow skiing with a friend. And uh, at that point in our marriage, in our life, we were fairly active. We were running, not marathons, but, you know, 10 or 12K. You know, we were doing a lot of those kinds of things. And we had taken up um, downhill skiing with a bunch of friends from church and we're kind of beginners, but kind of, you know, bonsai beginners. At least I had reason, but I was crazy. And anyway, so we went with a friend, a guy um, named Ron Long, and we went to Mount Bachelor. Never been there before. And it was probably, I don't think we'd been skiing 10 times in our lives. So it hadn't been too many times. So we arrive, and because we were pastoring at the time, so we didn't get there until a Sunday night. So we get there, and just, we, we get into this hotel, check in, we head for the mountain. And we, just as we arrive at the ski area, we realize they have just finished having a downhill race. You know what a downhill race is? That's where it's basically tuck and fly. There's, you know, there's none of the slalom stuff going on. It's go fast as you can to get to the bottom. Well, 
Um, Ron was a skier, but we were beginners, and but I he didn't have enough self-control to not. I mean, the, the, they had finished, but the course was open, and there it was. There was still gates. There was still that orange net to keep you out of the trees, and um, you can probably guess where this is going. So we're at the bottom, and I turned to Lisa and say, "Hey, honey, we'll see you at the bottom. <clears throat> Take your time. Ron and I are going to go go." And so we go to the top, and we are charging down that hill, and we're going way, 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 way too fast. Way too fast. And uh, I, I remember um, just about tearing my guts apart laughing as I watched Ron do one of these things and end up with his legs all crossed up in the orange net. <laughs> it's still funny. I could still see that. But I turned around and looked up the mountain wondering where Lisa was, and I saw her coming down the mountain. And as just as I saw her coming down, I could see she was going too fast too, and she crashed bad. And uh, <clears throat> it really, really injured her leg, really injured her knee severely. She couldn't stand up. She was in quite a lot of pain. And um, the first guy on the scene was a vet. <laughs> and when he saw that her leg wasn't going to work anymore, we thought he was going to put her down, you know. But <laughs> So the ski patrol comes with... This is the funny part. It has nothing to do with the sermon, but I still see this picture. This, the, the, they come with a toboggan because they want to give her um, a ride down to the deal. She wasn't wanting any of that because, you know, be, it's, it's shameful to ride the toboggan, I guess. But, you know, they got a snowmobile with a toboggan. Anyway, so she scooted, and so there, there was these dimples that went down the... <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, she did that for a distance, and then said, no. So she takes a ride down. <clears throat> well... We, um, we ended up dealing with her injury for a while, and after a, um, a period of time, we realized it was pretty severe. I was at a pastor's meeting, actually in Centralia, and um, one of the secretaries from the church there comes and asks for me and interrupts me. She says, you need to go home. Your wife is going into surgery at St. Peter's Hospital. I said, when I left my house this morning, she was having coffee. <laughs> you know, what's the deal? And so she had gone to the doctor because of the pain, and the doctor said, this is, this is a problem. We've got to fix it now. And they opened up her knee and did whatever sports medicine could do at the time, and they rebuilt all kinds of torn ligaments. It was staples and screws. It was pretty gruesome. They did the best they could, and they repaired her leg, and she was able to walk. And um, yet, after a few years, um, it was all she could do. We had to give up running. We had to give up skiing. It was just too hard. And it didn't take very many years, and this young woman started um, having significant pain as her injury turned into arthritis, which turned into bone on bone, which turned into a limp, which meant things like she couldn't do some of her favorite things, which is to crawl around in the dirt and play with flowers. <laughs> Don't get that. Anyway, so she's, she couldn't do those kinds of things anymore. And for me, I'd watch my wife in pain, and I'd see her limping, and I'd be thinking, it'd break my heart just watching this. And we just learned to live with it. We just learned to live with the fact that this is what life will be. It's the way it's going to be. Nothing's going to change that. Accept it. Part of life now. Every once in a while, I'd see an advertisement or hear about the idea of an artificial knee, but it didn't, the idea didn't seem to go anywhere, and, um, and it, the, the limp got worse and worse. Pretty soon, we started having concerns that the knee injury and compensating for it was now going to start damaging hips. It was, you know, it was getting worse. And um, 
somehow we decided that we would go ahead and pursue it. So in 2008, 20 years after the injury, Lisa went and had an artificial knee put in. And by the way, it's a lot of hard work for her. It's a lot of physical therapy and a lot of hard work. But now she walks without a limp. And now it's almost like we forget the fact that there's steel and titanium in there rather than just bone and the way God made her. We, we, her knee, but her knee doesn't hurt anymore. We go do things. A couple of months ago, she and I climbed Mount Washington, which is up on, uh, by Snoqualmie Pass. And in the next few days, we hope to go up to Panorama Point and go up on the Muir Snowfield. And we're doing things today that we were completely, they were outside of our concept that they would even be possible. And my point to tell you that whole story is that we discovered something. And that is what I want to say to you. You don't have to live this way. What you believe to be your lot in life, what you think is your future and it's just all that there will ever be, you don't have to live that way. You might think that, but I believe God wants to say that to you. Please wait upon the Lord in this moment and and listen because the Lord is saying to his kids today, you don't have to live with that constant pain. You do not have to live with such a heavy soul day after day after day. In fact, let's look and see what David said, uh, said about the Psalm 42, 5 and 6. He says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? And then he starts to preach to his soul, which is, you know, he starts talking to his own soul. He says to himself, soul, he says, soul, put your hope in God. I think he's actually saying, quit your whining, you know, and quit being a baby because he's a tough guy. Quit soul, quit your whining, quit being such a Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. David starts preaching. And I want to encourage you today, you. I want to encourage you to start preaching to your soul. Preach to your soul. So what are you going to preach? I don't know, but I'll give you three different things you can preach to your soul. So here's a few of them. Because you don't have to live with this heaviness in your soul. Why so downcast? Why so down? You don't have to live with that. Number one, remember to tell your soul Remember God's faithfulness in the past. When you're tempted to look back at the ways you've been hurt, at the things that have happened to you, train your mind to stop. Train your mind to shift gears. Train your mind to call to, call to its remembrance the faithfulness of God, the things that he's done in the past. And that's exactly what Jeremiah did in Lamentations. He's, he's lamenting. In Lamentations. And let's, let's see what he says. And you can see him shift gears here. Verse 19. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Now here he goes. He's going to shift gears. Verse 21. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Catch that. Because he calls something to mind, he has hope. His hope didn't just show up one day. It's because he actively called something to mind. All of a sudden, now he possesses hope. Wow. Verse 22, Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He's saying, man, this is so hard. This is so bad. But when I call to mind the good things God has done, I start having hope. And those of you that are Christians, 
and you've walked with the Lord for a while, you can think back to the bad. Or you can look back and see God's faithfulness. You know, call to, call, remember, call to your mind, remember the times when you realized that he doesn't hold your sins against you anymore. And the weight of those things you felt guilty about was gone. Remember that. Remember the time that you prayed for something? Don't know. I don't know what it was. You do. You prayed for something, and there was no human way possible for you to get out of that. And God miraculously intervened and made your way. Remember that. You didn't think you were going to make it at some point. And you remember saying, God, I don't know. And he somehow provided. Somebody came to you with something. Somehow the Lord provided in a way that you needed him to. And you gave him glory then. Remember that. Remember the times you've opened up the word of God, you're reading the Bible, and one scripture just jumped out of there and grabbed you by the heart, and, and, and you realize God was speaking something to you of promise and hope. Remember that. Remember what God did for you. You know, you're driving down the road, and some song on the radio is all of a sudden so specific to your situation, and you sense it's more than coincidence. Remember that. Or, you know, you went to church some point and it felt like you were by yourself with God. And you don't even remember the sermon or who was in the room, but you know God was speaking to you. And somehow, remember God's faithfulness. I remember, you know, times like that too. I remember sitting one time, sitting in the waiting room with my infant son, Joseph, gasping on the other side of the wall, gasping for oxygen, fighting for his life against pneumonia. And as a parent, as a father, there was nothing I could do. I could do nothing for him. And I felt like I was failing him. I I knew I couldn't do anything about it. I felt alone. I felt all these things. I was concerned. I mean, and I remember the Lord sent some friends who just came and sat with me. And they couldn't fix Joseph either. But I've sensed that the Lord was saying, hey, you're not alone in this. And then there was this moment where the Lord just breathed into Joseph. I, my viewpoint is that he breathed into Joseph the breath of life. And Joseph just tipped over. This, this whole problem tipped off of him. And he began, he, it was a huge turn. And he was fine. I remember that. I remember the goodness of God. I mean, I, I remember another time, and, and you'll probably think I'm crazy when I tell you this story. But there's another time early in our marriage, and um, it was my marriage was absolutely unraveling, and I just knew it was over, and I was brokenhearted. And I remember it was, I went to a friend, and, and, um, and I'm literally laying on the floor crying out to God. I'm desperate. God, and I, I experienced a literally out loud conversation with God. Well, you say, Terry, you actually heard his voice come out of the sky. No, it wasn't quite like that. It was different. I'm praying. I'm crying out to the Lord. And what I'm crying out, I'm not, I'm not verbalizing. I'm, I'm, this is all in my heart. The tears are real. The floor is getting wet. I'm blubbering. And I got a friend there who's just standing there praying for me. And I'm having a conversation with God. And it went on for a couple of minutes. And I just directly said, Lord, these things in my heart, didn't say them out loud, until I heard this friend of mine who was standing with me say something to me. 
And I remember being shocked <laughs> because it was a direct answer to a very specific question I asked the Lord. In my heart, I asked the question. It's quiet in the room. My friend says a phrase out loud. I stopped and I said, what did you say? He says it again. Why did you say that? I don't know. I just sensed that you needed to hear that. That went on for several sentences until finally the Lord through this, this person in this conversation out loud that I was having with God said, I believe the Lord said these words to me. Count it not lost. Why have you counted lost? Count it not lost. He said that phrase to me. I will never forget those words that God said to me because it was a promise. Count it not lost. Why have you counted lost? Count it not. God is saying, Marriage isn't over. I remember that. <laughs> I remember that. I remember those encouragements, and I remember that he kept that promise. God's faithfulness. You, listen, you can look back and have all sorts of reasons to have a heaviness of your soul, or you can look back and you can see the faithfulness of God. Why so downcast, oh my soul? Preach to your soul. And then if you're hurting now, I want to encourage you to do this, to cry out to God in the present. Cry out to him from the depths of your soul. That's what David did in, in Psalm 142. He's hiding in a cave, and he says this. He says, I pour out my complaint before him. Before I tell him my trouble. Now, he's not holding anything back here. He says, I cry out to you, O Lord. You're my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. I encourage you to make that a part of your discipline as a son or as a daughter of the king. I just encourage you, you know, when you have a heaviness in your soul about something that's going on to you today, let it rip. Tell the Lord, just let it rip. Be honest, you shouldn't hold back. You know, I'm confused, Lord. I'm angry. I'm, I'm upset. I don't get it. Where are you? That kind of direct talk, I think, is welcomed in the throne room. I think it's wanted. I think it's revered in the throne room. I really do. By the way, he can handle your honesty. He already knows your heart. Can you handle your honesty? Where it says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Cast them. Throw them. Hurl those. Just toss them out there. Cry out from the depths of your soul. Because you don't have to live with heaviness in your soul. You don't have to live like that. There was a time, ministry-wise, many years ago, I was fairly new as a pastor, and, and I made some ministry decisions, and I would sought the Lord, and I really felt like I was doing the right thing. But I got some significant pushback from the people in the church. And um, I was really hurt by what was going on. And in the middle of that, I... It was naive as a leader, but I got entangled in some issues that had to do with some people's personal agendas. And um, if you've ever been hurt in a church, there's people in a church. Did you know that? People, imperfect people come to church, and sometimes things happen, and we hurt each other. It happens. And um, not that I had done everything perfectly, but I, it was just, I was in this process and I was really discouraged, and I cried out to the Lord because I really thought that there was a good chance at that point that my ministry was done. I thought at any minute they were going to grab me, take me out back, lynch me, and tie me you know, to the railroad tracks and ask for a special delivery of the train. You know? <laughs> and I cried to the Lord. 
And the Lord comforted me. I mean, I, I remember the, 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 the prayer, the time of prayer, it was wintertime, and I, I remember standing in a certain place and my face looking into the wind and the cold winter wind blowing in my face, and I didn't care. I was numb to everything because I was so brokenhearted. And I said, Lord, I, I don't know what to do. And I just know that the Lord didn't necessarily answer me in those moments, but he comforted me. So you look back and you see his faithfulness in the present, you, you call out to him. And when you're anxious about the future, I want to remind you to trust in God's power for your future. Trust in God's power. Trust that he's the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the yes and the amen. Trust that he's in your tomorrow already. He's waiting for you there. He's with you here, but he's in your tomorrow, in your tomorrow, where you're going to be in that meeting with your boss and you don't know what's going to happen. And so you rehearse all kinds of things in your mind that could go wrong and how you'll deal with it. Those, by the way, are called vain imaginations. Take those things captive. Instead, focus on the fact that you can trust in his power for your future because he'll be there tomorrow. There's a great verse in 2 Chronicles 32 where Hezekiah, the king of Judah, says, Verse 7, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. For there is a greater power. Everybody say greater power. Greater power. <laughs> okay. Greater power with us than with him. For with him is only the arm of flesh. They just have what they have. But with us is the Lord, our God, to help us and to fight our battles. In other words, they just bring whatever they bring to the battle, but we have whatever God brings to the battle. <laughs> Did you get that? I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty amazing. You know, if you're a Christian, that means that you have at your access the same, the same power of the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. That's in your deal. They bring whatever they bring, the arm of the flesh. You get to bring the Holy Spirit, the power of God. Trust in God's power for your future. I just, um, as we wrap up, I just want to just ask that question. Why so downcast? Because I know there are people here who are downcast. And I don't expect you to walk out of church today because I get all excited up here and animated and tell you about dumping the weights in the weight room. Why? But I want to say to you, preach to your soul. Ask those questions. Why so downcast? And I want to promise you, you don't have to live with that. Last week... I gave us just a minute. We took a minute to just be still before God. And I'm trying to do that because for some of us, we've never taken the time to start to detox our body from some of this, the soul things that we just want to, to just need to be detoxed out of our body. And so I want to do that again. I want to remind you to remember his faithfulness from the past, cry out to him in the present, and trust in his power for the future. Did I call to, to mind that I have hope? We're not consumed because of the Lord's great love, for his mercies are new every morning. Why so downcast, O oh my soul? Now, for the next few moments, just I want everybody to close your eyes and allow the Lord to speak to you as you would talk to him about issues of your soul.
Father, I'm aware that there are so many that just live with an ongoing heaviness of the soul. And God, I pray today that in your presence, that your spirit, your Holy Spirit, would do a supernatural miracle in our souls. That God, we would learn that you didn't just create us to live with the heaviness of the soul, but that we can come to you, Jesus, just as we are, and that you will give us rest for our souls. You'll give us peace. We can truly put our hope in you, Lord church, keep your eyes closed. And if you're praying and, and this as you're praying, you there's something that's honestly in you saying, I have a little bit of heaviness in my soul. Admit it to the Lord. Lord, there's an ongoing heaviness in my soul and I want to trust you, Lord. I need this healing. I want you to put hope in me. God, would you do that right now? God, I thank you for the honesty of your people. And I pray that your word would be true in our hearts, Lord, that, that God, as you are faithful, that your mercies are new every morning. Lord, give us everything we need to do whatever it is that you would want for us to do and to be. Lord, your word promises that your grace will never fail us. Your strength is made perfect in our weakness, Lord. You are good through and through, and you're already in our tomorrows. Lord, I pray for healing of the soul here. I pray, Lord, for this idea of that you would detox our souls. And Lord, while we're praying, I know there are some people who are saying, this sounds really good, but I honestly really don't know that, God. And I want to say to you, while the people around you are praying, that the Lord God loves you. He loves you. And I mentioned early in the message that when we die, it's just that our body that dies, but our soul goes on living forever somewhere. And if you don't have the issues settled between you and God, then you will not forever spend eternity with him in heaven. Scripture tells us that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ, his son, if you've never opened your heart and said, okay, I understand. He came, he died on a cross for me, and he rose on the third day, and it's his way of loving me into heaven, and I will receive that gift. If you've never received that gift, if you've never made that decision, it's critical that you make that decision at some point. No one can do it for you. You can't solve that need by going to church, by giving money, by being a nice person, because everybody falls short in some way. Everybody fails. We all sin in some way. But God loves us so much that he sent his son so that you and I might have forever life. If you want to open your heart to the Lord, eyes are closed right now. I'm just going to give a moment during this moment of prayer for people to make a decision which will affect their eternity. It's really the most important thing that will happen in this room today. So if something is is right now stirring in your heart and you feel maybe your heart's pumping a little faster because this is a little bit scary, that's the Holy Spirit saying, yes, come to me now. Who knows what tomorrow may hold? So I'm just going to say while eyes are closed, if you'd like to open your heart to the Lord, I just want to agree with you. That's all. I'm not going to embarrass you or ask you in front of anybody. But I would like to pray with you just privately in this moment. I'll pray up here and you stay there. But if you want to open your heart to the Lord, would you just look at me and make eye contact? Praise the name. Praise the Lord. I see that. Okay. Others?
Okay, I see that one too. Good. Any others? Okay. So everybody keep your eyes closed. And for those two who opened your heart, I just want to pray with you. So I'm going to pray in your behalf. Lord, you saw and you knew that decision was coming. I'm so grateful, Lord, for those two who have opened their heart to you today. Lord, speak to them now. Fill their hearts with life. Put people into their life pathway that will help guide them, Lord, into relationship with you. Grant it to them, Lord. Grant them a new understanding about your word. Grant them a new understanding about your love for them. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.